Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. I'm Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Together, we're the founders of Good Egg Investments and creators of the Real Estate Accelerator. We help real estate investors and syndicators build their brands, find the right investors for their deals, and scale their businesses so they can do more and bigger deals. We believe that everyone has the power to make an impact through raising capital and helping people achieve financial freedom through real estate. We invite you to join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can amplify our impact together. We know you're going to love this episode. And hey, be sure to stick around to the end of the show because we're going to reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing real estate podcasts on the planet. Ready? Let's go. Welcome back, friends, to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Dickerson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce you to Venkat Avrasarola. Venkat, how are you today? Doing very well. Thanks for having me, Annie. Of course. I'm thrilled to have you here to share your story with our listeners. So let's start there. Start by telling everybody, you know, you're very successful now and you've built up this business, but how did you get started in the real estate space in the first place? Uh, well, um, I started, like most people, buying up single-family homes um, after the Great Recession, uh, about 20 single family homes uh, around 2008 all the way to 2012, uh, well, 2014, during that space in DFW. I live in DFW and I used to be in IT. Uh, my background is IT. I'm an electrical engineer by education, but ended up in IT 14 years there. Uh, worked for several Fortune 500 companies. So, very busy job. So, I wasn't actually flipping anything, but I was actually buying turnkey properties to just hold in my, uh, my portfolio. So, that is how I got started with real estate. Um, but once um, around 2016 time, when it started making a lot of sense, because I was spoiled because I started in 2008, I was getting like 15, 16, 18% cash on cash. Oh, uh, everything you touched property. was turning to gold. Exactly. And now <laughs> those properties that I bought then, now they cash like 35, 40%. I mean, those were the days, right? By 2016, mm -hmm. I stopped seeing 12, 15%. And then I said, well, I call the market top on single family, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is not true at all. But for me, for me, it was a market top yeah. because I was spoiled. Um, so that is when I said that, look, I got to scale this business uh, more. So that is when I went into multifamily uh, back in 2016. I, I started like most people again in multifamily. It, at, at first, it's very daunting. It's very intimidating. Uh, so much that you got to know. Uh, kind of a feeling, right? So I started with some single family investments and later I joined uh, an investment club and uh, learned from the people around there, not so much from the club itself, but from the people around there just to see how things are done. And did my uh, first deal in 2016, which is a hundred unit um, uh, syndicated, my first deal in June of 2016, a hundred unit small property, $3.5 million property in Norman, Oklahoma. And boy, oh boy, I mean, we made some money. It's it's about 16 IRR, not great. Um, but that property taught me a lot. Uh, it taught me a lot about market selection and who you are competing against, right? And uh, how to react when 
when unexpected things happen. So it's, let's call it baptism by fire, right? I mean, that's what happened in my first deal. I, I didn't make a whole lot of money. And I think at the end of the deal, I think as a GP, I made maybe 30,000 in, in two years. I mean, not bad, but not not so much to brag on, but oh my God, I got a million dollars worth of education out of that one, um, oh, yeah. that one mm-hmm. <laughs> property. So after that, I started syndicating uh, deal after deal, mostly in Dallas. Um, put together about 3,000 units, B and C class apartments, and then uh, uh, recently sold most of that portfolio, 2,600 units, about um, a month and a half or two months ago uh, in Dallas, and basically exited Texas for now. And I started to buy in Western states, and my favorites are Arizona and Colorado, Phoenix and Denver to be specific. Um, mm-hmm. I like the low expense ratios there. I like the low break-even occupancies there. I like high rents, high wage, high rents, uh, better demographics, proximity to California. Most of the Californians, they don't automatically come all the way to Texas or New York, but they try to resettle in the West. So, and uh, California is still richest and most populous state in our union, <clears throat> and they keep sending our people. And uh, thank God, you know, Gavin Newsom got reelected. So that was a big thing because he, he'll continue to send more people our way. So that, that's a great thing. So that's why I like the West. So that is yeah. where I am rebuilding my portfolio and started some construction in early 2022. Yeah. Well, I, what... I love about your story and some of the themes I see throughout it are that you were always looking ahead. You mm-hmm. weren't complacent where you were. You were trying to, you know, figure out different ways. And then when the market started to shift, as it did, as you saw in 2016, you're like, okay, well, what's next? How can I keep Back. going? How can I take the experience I have and build toward the next? thing. And then you got into multifamily and you sort of did the same thing. And now you saw, you know, okay, the market is shifting a little bit. How can I get into other markets that may still be seeing this tremendous growth? And so I love that you're constantly moving and growing and evolving your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to see real estate is a cycle, right? Not every asset class, every market is at the same exact point in that cycle. So the, uh, think of it as a surfer, right? I mean, you got to ride the wave. And in order to ride the wave, you have to constantly reassess your situation, make adjustments so that you stay on the wave, not under the wave. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. Love that. Take us back to, because um, I suspect there are quite a few listeners out there who are in this same boat. Take us back to that transition from single family to multifamily. So at that point, you had done, you know, 20 some odd single family homes. You sort of cracked the nut there. You figured out what was working. But multifamily and commercial real estate, as you know, is a whole different ballgame. And to have gone into it and then that first year have syndicated a hundred unit property, that is a big deal, a huge accomplishment. So tell us a little bit about how you were able to make that transition. Absolutely. So here's the thing. Uh, since I live in Dallas and at the time, and even now, Dallas is a very hot market, right? So I like uh, I was so naive to think that, yeah, just because I live here, people will just award a deal to me here. I mean, that's what I was thinking, getting going in. And I bought good. Uh, I started around November 2015 looking for my property. And then I, I spent like eight months toured so many properties, offered on so many properties, just couldn't land. Nobody would even give me a 60 unit, right? And they wouldn't tell you, but you are not, you are an unproven quantity for that, 
right? They don't know if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They don't know if you can raise money. They don't know whether you would, you know, work with them if something happens. I mean, because it's a, think of it as a 60 day to 90 day marriage between you and seller. I mean, something comes and you have to work it out. You cannot take each other to court and that kind of thing. Are, are you a good person to work with, right? None of these things are proven. Well, what do you do then, right? So it dawned upon me that we got to step outside our market, even though that's not an ideal situation for us, you know? So that is why I went to Oklahoma where it's not that hot, but still we bought our property, mid sixties built uh, near to the main street on Norman uh, in Norman for 35 a door, right? It's not like we, do, we didn't take a bunch of risks going into the property. So that is what I did, right? So I stepped out of, the, of my market, went into a place where I don't have to compete uh, tooth and nail with everybody and won that property. And using that experience, I won a 120-unit property in Phoenix. Believe it or not, back then, 2016, Phoenix was like nobody, right? right. Uh, so, <laughs> so I won a deal in Phoenix before I won a deal in Dallas. But mm -hmm. once I did these two, uh, Dallas welcomed me back in, with a 300-unit. The same broker who wouldn't give me a 60 unit about six months before suddenly felt comfortable ah, awarding me mm -hmm. a 300 unit um, in a very competitive uh, in a very competitive process, right? I, I went through an interview process with the New York seller and all that. We recently sold that property. We did phenomenal on that property. Um, but yeah, that, that's how it started. I mean, you have to adjust, right? I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, it's hard. If it's easy, everybody would do it, right? I mean, that's, thank God it's hard. Um, so <laughs> when we do these things, I mean, if you're not getting uh, results, you have to adjust it, right? You have to adjust this thing. Don't leave the game, just adjust a little bit. Uh, maybe just a strategic draw, retreat, just to pounce back ahead. And that is exactly what we did. And that was the transition. It was a $1.2 million raise. We raised in about 10 days. Uh, I had partners though. Um, I took a partner who have done deals before. So we have some know-how on the team. We did use third-party management. I didn't, I, I was managing my own properties, the 20 single prop properties, but I didn't feel comfortable managing, managing it myself, given that I'm long distance to the property, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so what I'm hearing you say is you, you tried your best. You were persistent for eight months. That's a long time to keep touring yes. all these properties and underwriting. That's a lot of work to put in. So first you were persistent and you had the courage to step into this world. Second, when you saw that maybe you weren't getting the results you wanted, you then were resourceful and you got creative and you started thinking outside the box and you took some risk by going to another market. But not only that, you also added in leverage because you leveraged somebody else's experience. Yep. So you built up the team and it wasn't all about ego. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this deal on my own. It was like, okay, well, let me put together a team and we can be successful together. Absolutely. Even today, right? After doing $450 million in transactions, uh, real estate is a team sport on so many levels it's required because it would be very naive on one's part to think that I'm good at every everything. We can be, right? I mean, there's always a room for improvement. So you take a partner who can complement your skills and, and, and then make a team. And God forbid, if something happens to me, there should be a continuity in the, in the asset management and the ownership, right? I mean, that's another thing which I worry quite a bit. 
um, and especially these are COVID days, right? So anybody can check out at any time. So um, that that's another thing. I have never done a deal all by myself. And I at least took one partner. Usually I work with one other partner uh, for those reasons. Mm. I'm going to ask you a question that I get from a lot of um, syndicators who are starting out. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. What comes first, the deal or the money? And which side is harder, finding the deal or finding the investors to invest in the deal? Well, it depends on where you are in your progression, right? So when you are getting started, everything is hard. Everything is hard, right? Uh, But it's easier to find somebody to help you with the equity raise than it is to find somebody with the deal, right? Um, somebody with equity, they're, they're looking to place equity. They'll partner with you if you have a deal. But if somebody has a deal, they may, may or may not need me, right? Maybe, maybe they can raise their own equity, right? So in that aspect, I would say deal always comes first, especially in this hyper, I wouldn't say hyperinflation, but highly inflated uh, market that we are in. Um, I mean, where there is a scarcity of product, I mean, it's a slam dunk. Deal is the issue. See, if you want some deal, there are a dime a dozen. I mean, practically, you can right. buy any deal in the United States that yeah. you want once you've proven yourself, if you're willing to pay a certain price, right? Yeah. If you want to pay more than that. But the question is, when we call it deal, uh, there is a presumption that there is a uh, thought put into the successful outcome of the deal, right? If, mm-hmm. if you underwrite it that way, if you're paying where it will still allow you to be successful on the other side of the transaction, yeah, then that's a deal and they are in rare, rare supply right now. Yeah, That is, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And I think it, just like your surfing analogy, it shifts, right? So at certain points in the cycle, the money is easier to find. Like right now, there's plenty of money waiting to be placed into deals. Deals are a little bit harder to find. And sometimes the deals are a plenty and everybody's nervous and doesn't want to put their money into real estate. But it sounds like at the time when you got started in 2016 in the multifamily space, it sounds like you kind of had some, I mean, it took you a while, right? It took you eight months to um, start to, to, to get some yeah. traction with finding the deal. During that time, were you also talking with investors or how were you able to, once you had the deal, raise the money so quickly and successfully? Um, not so much. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't recommend this to people, uh, but um, I got it got easy for me. I don't do any digital marketing and no outreach programs like that. But I never leave a chance to be on a podcast. This is my content creation. This is the only thing I do. I'm a very bad example (laughs) when it comes to content creation, outreach, education, building relationships with investors. I haven't done any of this thing. I got away, right? I mean, it it was, I got away. I wouldn't recommend this to anybody. I don't do it the right way. Uh, But I Always, I'm saying, okay, next year onwards, I'm going to fix this, this thing. But I'm so busy that that next year is never coming, hopefully in 2022. But yeah, to answer to your question, I was just focused on the deal. Um, because by 2016, we're completely out of the words from the Great Recession, right? Everything's looking up. Uh, our Trump got elected. Everything is like, boom, boom, let's go kind of thing, right? Uh, so I was just focused on uh, finding a deal because I figured that, you know, once you have a deal, and um, again, I worked in IT, I worked in several Fortune 500 companies, um, and I used to manage big, big teams and all that. And part of my job responsibility was being um, a intermediary between the business and the technology. <laughs> so I picked up the skill 
where I can shift my gears in the way I present to people depending on who they are, right? I mean, so that uh, I, I can make articulate things um, in a certain way that I can talk to everybody. So I brought over that soft skill and I, and until even today, people say that, you know, I do good webinars and I articulate uh, uh, opportunity really well. So it, it wasn't really hard for me to raise equity at all. Uh, finding the deal, oh yeah, every day I struggle with that. Um, again, when I say deal, the deal. Yes, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when you do have a deal nowadays or then, um, take us a little bit through your your process of, um, you know, from the time that you get the deal under contract to the time that you close. You've been through this process many times now. So what are some of those key things that you should always do or what are some things you've learned along the way? Well, uh, timing is everything, right? Uh, I I usually do only 60-day contracts, never extended my contracts. Um, And the very first thing I do at the LOI stage is once my LOI got accepted, I do the following things. I'll give a heads up to my lawyer so that they can draft um, the offering uh, offering documents. I'll give a heads up to my lender so that they can get going on the loan process. And then immediately I'll set up some time for the due diligence with my property management companies. Right? Usually those are the three phone calls I do. But there are a few other things in my checklist like I have to let the cost sec guy know. Now more than ever, timing is of the essence. Because oh, yes. what used to take a week or is not taking a month now, right? Mm. Cost seg. I used to send an email tomorrow. I used to get an email back saying this thing. Now it's like two weeks. It's like, right? I mean, so you got to have a checklist. You have a checklist and you start go executing things by thing. Because one thing, if you forget, I mean, it's hard, right? It might derail you. Some things may not derail you, but the other things will derail you and extend the contract and things like that. So those are the first three phone calls I do. And obviously do the due diligence and work with the lender. And then after the due diligence, I conduct a webinar um, and I don't take investors before the webinar, but I keep my docs ready to be mailed out the evening of the webinar or the following day. But I do not take any investors until they come to my webinar and hear me out so that if they have any questions, we can all take care of it right now so that they can make an educated and a conscious decision uh, out of their free will. And I don't usually call investors back because I don't want them to think that, you know, I don't want to talk anybody into anything, right? It has to be free will. Um, and that, that is how I, I have done this. Yeah, I like that. I like that approach where it's, you know, it's take your or leave it. If this is the right opportunity for you, here's all everything that I've discovered. Here's my plan. And yeah. here it is, black and white. And it's not like, hey, you know, like, come invest in my deal. Come on. You know, you want to hear all the top 10 reasons why you should do it. Right. right. It's like you do the best on your end and you present it and whoever it's right for, they'll naturally come. Absolutely. But if they have questions, if they call me, if they want to talk to me, of course. But I'm not going to just pick up a call and start talking people into this just because they show up on my webinar right. or just the register. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Uh, because what happens is they will worry. Let's say people's usually gut reaction is the right reaction, right? So if they don't invest in the deal, they don't want to invest in the deal. And if I call them and talk them into it, and 
and it's not a big deal to talk somebody into anything, right? I mean, if you do keep doing it, you'll get good at it, right? <laughs> so it's a dangerous thing. And that is what happens to all these days, the gurus and all that. Hey, you know, just only today, there is a 30% discount run at the That's back right. of the room. Today only. Yep. Uh-huh. Nice, right? <laughs> Our talking is into something when our mind is a little confused when we are vulnerable and all that, right? So it can be done. Don't think it cannot be done. It can be done. But I don't do that because what happens is like, uh, so if somebody don't want to invest and if I call them and talk them into something, they worry because their initial, mm-hmm. their gut told them not to invest in it. But well, I talked them into investing it right. for the, over the next two, three, four years, however long they worry about it. And then they'll worry you. Right. Calling, <laughs> like, right? So it has to be out of free will with the only chance you get to impress upon them is the webinar. And even that, just don't keep it very salesy and all that. Do talk about tough questions like, uh, what if I die? What if, what if uh, another recession comes along? What if the COVID comes? What if the interest rates go up? These are the tough questions. And I bring them up in my webinar. No investor have to ask me those questions because I'm a passive investor too. I invest in other people's deals. I know what's running in their mind. So I'm going to bring them up and I'm going to talk them about the webinar. So they feel that, look, I mean, I think I heard everything I need to hear from the risk standpoint because reward is very easy, right? Because you have that returns projection there. It's there. I mean, you don't have to talk about it. It speaks for itself. The risks is what you have to talk about, right? Be very open about it. Keep bringing them up. And that's, I think I do a fair job on that. Until then, I have raised about close to $100 million and I don't do any advertising. All has been 506B, never bought an ad or anything. Uh, again, I it, it uh, I got away with it, but uh, I don't recommend being this passive when it comes to uh, raising equity. There should be a proper outreach program for anybody. Wow. You guys heard it here first, a hundred million dollars without doing outreach and just doing really good work, right? Doing really good work, finding really good deals and presenting them in an open and honest way. I think that's a fantastic approach. And it's no wonder you've seen the success that you have. Now, for anybody who might be listening, who's in, you know, starting out in multifamily and just getting into this space, what advice do you have for them? What's maybe one or two things that you'd recommend that they should do? Absolutely. I would say that uh, education is important, right? So you either partner with somebody and education doesn't always have to be you join some kind of mentoring group and all that. Mentoring groups are dime a dozen. And right now they're morphing into, back then when I started in 27, 2016, um, I felt that it was a good value for your money, the mentoring group. But now they're like $40,000, $50,000 and it became show business. Like they're bringing these uh, Shark Tank people. What does Shark Tank got to do with what we do, right? Um, it's show business, right? I mean, if it, it's purely show business right now. Not saying that you will not benefit out of it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But at the face value, sitting where I am, how can that be helpful to anybody, right? So I started, I used to tell people, oh, go get a mentor and all that. But I kind of shift that right now because of what I'm seeing. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, work with somebody. Work with somebody who have done um a deal or a few deals, work with somebody, don't expect a lot in compensation, do it for free. Heck, do it for free, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but uh, do it for free, whatever value that you can add, but work your way into the deal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Don't leave that, don't take no for an answer. Um, but before that, you need to have admiration for somebody. You cannot just follow everybody just because they have done a deal or two. You need to 
hear people's podcasts, attend people's webinars and all that. At the end of the day, you need to frame your mind. It's like you need to admire one, two, three, or four or five people, right? You know what this indicator are like, why, right? So you have to understand why you admire that person, right? Then you approach them and say that, look, I mean, I'm trying to get started here. Please, I'll work for free. Give me a job. I want to be a fly on the wall when you negotiate a contract. I want to fly on the wall when you when you when you tour a property. I know it's not very straightforward, but I think it it might take a little longer in the beginning. But after that, the growth will be exponential because you're learning from somebody who's on the street doing the deals today, not singing laurels of what happened or what they did ten years before when everything was <laughs> yeah, easy, right. right. So that is what I'm telling people. Uh, to to partner up with people, to partner first first find a, a group of people that you really admire for right reasons, not because they put they can put together a good show, right? I mean for the right reasons, and then um, watch them and learn from them as much as you can, and then approach them and see if they will take you in their team. And the other thing is the biggest learning thing is you got to look at the market. You have to look at the market, and these are the people that you are approachable, right? But let's say there is Cortland. They buy one property every other week kind of thing. I mean, these are large, nicer properties and all that. And I don't know whether you notice this all, but let's say there are 10 properties. They're all getting buck 50 rents, $1.50 per foot rents. And in the, in the middle, there will be a Cortland property and they get buck 80 rents. Why? Well, now you got to get curious. Why is Cortland consistently getting premium to everybody else, right? So you, you have to investigate. Some, why is that? I mean, there's a ton of learning. Nobody can teach you like the industry can, right? I mean, you have to pay attention to who is doing what and why, and you have to find different, different ways to get to the, the truth. And I'm telling you, that is what builds a quality investor, quality syndicator. And there will be clarity in your thought, clarity in the way you deal with other people, and people will respect you and follow you. Ah, oh, such good advice. And just... I love that. Just lead with the value and don't look to get anything, but really look to provide value to others and work your way in and prove your value. And then, and then you'll be, you'll get your foot in the door and you'll be well on your way. So I love that. And by the way, I'm sure through listening to your story, I'm sure you've gained a lot of admirers from our listener audience. So tell them if they did want to follow up with you or learn more about what you're doing, what's the best place that they can go? Well, they can go to my website at Striker Properties, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R Properties.com. Um, and uh, you can contact, contact me via that or shoot, you can shoot me an email at Venkat, V-E-N-K-A-T at Striker, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R, Prop, P-R-O-P.com, not properties, StrikerProp.com. I, I condensed it a bit. Or just give me a call at 281-727-9238. All right. To our, all our listeners, you got his phone number now too. So be sure to follow <laughs> up with Venkat. He's a wealth of knowledge and experience in this space and so giving. So thank you so much, Venkat, for being here with us and sharing so openly of your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom. To all of our well, listeners, be sure to follow up with Venkat to learn more. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. 
If you are a real estate investor or syndicator who would like to be on this podcast, please visit syndicationspotlight.com and please also join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can connect with you and learn more about you. And if you got something out of this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe to this show and give us a rating and review. We promise to read your feedback and take action to continue to make this show even better and more valuable for the real estate syndication community. My name is Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the real estate syndication spotlight community.